0: Hi everybody, this is Gad Saad. I'm back in Montreal after a family trip to Southern California. Today I wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you about uh, the current anti-cop zeitgeist and where that will lead us. And uh, in order to do so, I'm going to read arguably one of the most terrifying experiences from my childhood. Uh, some of you who... I've read The Parasitic Mind, this book right here, you might remember that in chapter 1 I talked about the now famous pomegranate story. Uh, so what I'd like to do is read that whole passage for you because it's going to serve as an important precursor to what happens when a society sinks into lawlessness and chaos. <clears throat> so here we go. This is from The Parasitic Mind. It on, starts on chapter. F- four on page uh, chapter one page four and then goes on to page five so let me read you the whole thing and then i will make some comments and link it to some stuff that's happening in the uh, u.s context in terms of defund the police and the soft on crime policies and so on prior to the start of the war my parents had contracted a hand dryer service that provided a roll of washable textile which was installed on the wall of our kitchen This was a precursor of the subsequent models of disposable hand-drying tissues found in public bathrooms. Periodically, the same individual would come to our house to remove the dirty roll and replace it with a clean one. I believe his name was Ahmad or perhaps Muhammad. I thought that this was a rather strange service then and even more so now as I recount the story. One evening, in the middle of the otherwise endless street-to-street fighting and continuous bombshelling, I heard a knock at our door. I walked to the door and asked who was there. The reply came, quote, it's me, Ahmed or Mohammed, the guy who changes your kitchen roll. Open the door, kid, closed, quote. I delayed and his insistence grew more sinister and forceful, quote, open the door now, quote. I ran to my mother. If memory serves me right, there were four occupants at our house that evening. My mother, my sister, who had returned to Beirut to visit us and was now stuck there, a male friend of my parents, who was also stuck at our house even though he lived a short drive away, and myself. My father was not at home. I believe he was outside the country, but I can't remember why he was away. He eventually returned to Beirut and narrowly escaped death on the drive back to our home. My mother approached the door and talked through it with Ahmed, who was accompanied by one or more men the exchange grew tense and my mother fetched the male friend who was cowering in another room. She hoped he might frighten them away and I recall the disgust and anger that my mother expressed for this male friend's breathtaking cowardice in refusing to help. Within the brutality and chaos of the Civil War, there remained some semblance of law and order. As a last-ditch effort and against all odds, my mother phoned the police The Arabic word for the outfit was 16, in Arabic it's sattash, and they took the call. Remember that this is during a full-blown war. Once they arrived at our house, we opened the door and let everyone into the kitchen. The lead policeman asked the men why they were there and who they were. Ahmed replied, Oh, my friends and I were in the mountains and we brought back a basket of pomegranate with us, and so we stopped by to give it to this family, close quote. After the policeman, I recall his impressive rifle by his side, after the policeman checked to confirm the contents of the basket, he stared coldly at Ahmad and said, quote, your connection to this family is that you changed their hand-drying role and you decided to brave the street fighting and come in the middle of the night to offer them pomegranate? If I ever find you here again, you'll have serious problems, Quotes, quote. What happened next still gives me shivers down my spine. Ahmed looked at us and said very coldly and menacingly, quote, "I'll be back for you. Close quote. We did not stay much longer in Lebanon after that incident, and so Ahmed never had a chance to quote, visit us again Now, why do I mention the story? First of all, in the context of the horrors that I witnessed in the Lebanese Civil War during that first year that we were there. This story stands as one of the most terrifying and an otherwise very, very terrifying childhood because it really captures the sliding door uh, principle, right? Had I been naive enough to open that door when he told me to open it up, had the the, the police unit not come over, which could have been perfectly understandable given the brutality of the street-to-street fighting, many, many different outcomes could have happened that day. I may not be sitting here uh, addressing you today. So on, on that first kind of grand metaphysical level, the sliding door story, the vicissitude, the vicissitudes of life, uh, it's, a, it's a very powerful story. But the, it's, of course, also very sinister, right? Because it was clear what would have happened to us that evening had things not perfectly aligned. But now why am I talking about this in the context of the anti-police rhetoric that we see in the United States coming from one political party. Uh, In the middle of the most brutal imaginable civil war, we were able to call on men who had taken an oath to protect the citizens, the citizenry. And they came and they saved us. They didn't care about whether we were transgender or not. They didn't care whether we were black or white or Jewish or Christian or or Muslim or anything. They had an oath to keep and they came and they protected us. And we were able to escape Lebanon not having experienced a much worse outcome that was awaiting us. So if nothing else, that story reminds me on how far we are from Sinking into anarchy, lawlessness, and civilized civilization and order because there are people who have guns who are sworn to uphold the law. So, when you have a society that then says, you know what, we're no longer going to lionize the people who take that oath, we're no longer going to say they are most courageous and our strongest and our you know, are uh, are fiercest. We're going to demonize them at every turner, at every turn, at every corner, at every opportunity. They are racist. They are bigots. They are corrupt. Uh, they they hunt down black people all day long, as LeBron James told us as he's coming from his home in Malibu or or Beverly Hills. What the courage that he must he exemplifies in. In, in going to the Staples Center to train when he's being hunted every day by the police is just remarkable. And so, now, I want to link that to a couple of things that uh, happened during this uh, trip that I was in California. One of which is, some of you may have seen the story uh, or the clip of this uh, young guy, a uh, uh, young black guy fighting a black cop in the subway. And it's just full, full on MMA punching and wrestling and so on. Now, first of all, that a kid would be emboldened to physically engage in a, you know, long fight with a cop already suggests that that's not a good uh, harbinger, if you'd like, of where society is going. But then when the kid was arrested, and by the way, he was, a, I think, a felon. He had been uh, arrested previously on uh, you know weapons charges, of course, released. But then after he has a massive fight with the cop, he's released shortly thereafter. And I'm sure that he won't be taking, put away in prison. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you start physically fighting, I mean, with a cop, you're gone five years to prison, maybe more. Now it's not because the cop is a special person; he's got more because he re, he or she represents the law. He or she represents the the side of one side of the track is lawlessness, anarchy. The other side is what keeps us safe when we walk in the streets, right? So, when you have the A's and prosecutors and you know the whole machinery of progressive soft on crime policies, whereby the criminals are the victims, right? Where it's wrong to incarcerate them. It's it's wrong to be tough on crime. We need to give them chances. The, the reason why they are criminal, according to the progressive policy, is because society has wronged them. So you remove the personal agency from the criminal, and you say that it's society's fault, and therefore to incarcerate them, to punish them, is a double whammy against them. So you have to be soft on them. You have to, you know, you have to play them reggae music and and, and hold hands and kumbaya and, you know, give them a, a you know, peace through cucumbers and so on. Uh, and so what happens? You end up having a whole generation of kids who don't fear the law. I don't know if you saw another clip that came out of Minnesota where there were these young kids, I mean, literally two, two years old maybe, who were, you know, swearing at the cops. The cops, by the way, were, were also black. The kids were black and the cops were black. So the reason I mentioned their race is because you can't then argue that it's it's due to, you know, white supremacy and they're fighting against the white man and so on. So the the the, the kids, two years old, are saying words that, you know, I would recoil if my teenage daughter heard, but the kids were saying them to the cops. They were punching the cops. And the cops, of course... We're in a no-win situation. They're they're trying to kind of stop the kids from abusing them, from hitting them. So those are two little snippets. One, the fight in the subway station between the cop and the kid. Another one with uh, the two-year-olds really physically attacking the cops. Obviously, they're only two, three years old. But the fact that they are emboldened, right, the natural instinct would be for a kid to be afraid of an older person, a person of, of authority. So if at two or three years old, they're sufficiently emboldened, sufficiently brazen to be to go toe-to-toe and attack a cop who's got a gun that's bigger than you, what that what is that kid going to do when he's 12 or 14 or when he sees a helpless old lady passing in the street? Well, what you end up having is what happened with a bunch of kids beat an elderly man to death. And of course, they will probably get no punishment. I'm not sure, I think this happened maybe in Philadelphia. Uh, by the way, when I was uh, just on this, this trip and uh, we were staying in Newport Beach, and there's a very nice area in Newport Beach, uh, where in that particular village you're not allowed to engage in any solicitations. And so there, were, there was this kid who was walking around trying to, it was a scam, you know, buy chocolates from me and so on. And the security gentleman who looked like a spitting image of um, Denzel Washington, and we, we 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 got to know him well. We chatted with him many times. Uh, he he's he's got he's a black gentleman. Again, I mentioned his race because the the kids who were loitering around and trying to cause trouble and solicit and so on were also black. Well, at one point, this gentleman is uh, probably around my age. Seems like a really stand-up guy. Very polite. Very professional. At one point, I saw him engaging in a very, very heated uh, exchange with the the kid. There were two kids. One was a, a boy and a girl. Well, the boy was maybe 14, 15. He was being very, very threatening that he's, he's, he was threatening the gentleman and so on. And the gentleman was trying to talk him down, but also to speak to him, to say, you know, you know, I'm old enough to be your dad. I'm old enough to be maybe even your grandfather, he was telling us later. And I had gone up to the gentleman after I had overheard the conversation. I said, my God, what? What a difficult job you have because you don't even have the, the badge of the cop. Even that wouldn't scare him. But you know, you're you're a privately hired, you know, security guard, and yet you, you know, you're taking your job with such honor, with such dignity, and you're trying to, to talk down, I mean, you know, de escalate the situation with this kid. But that kid wasn't afraid of him. That kid felt no shame. Well, where does that come from? I don't think he's born that way. But it comes from the zeitgeist of uh, anti-authority, anti-discipline, anti-cops, that doesn't breed healthy, civilized societies. It, 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 It breeds anarchy. And again, to go back to the pomegranate story, we were able to call the cops during arguably the most brutal civil war imaginable, and they came. So there is nothing progressive or liberal or noble about hating on cops they put their lives on the line so that you can walk your dog hopefully safely and by the way don't get me started on the second amendment because one of the other things that u.s has which now when i return to canada i I realize what a feminized society we are in the u.s you still have the dignity of being able to defend yourself i was hanging around uh, on the strip with an old friend of mine who just retired from the FBI and he still carries a gun. He showed me his gun and we were walking around and I was thinking to myself, why is it that this gentleman can walk around and if something goes bad, he doesn't need to wait for the cops to come. He can defend himself and his property and his family. Whereas I, on the other hand in Canada have subcontracted that most basic individual right to the state Justin Trudeau has actually said there is no such in you know basic right as you protecting yourself really what what is there more in terms of your survival instinct than to be able to defend yourself when you're being attacked well in a socialist utopia the government will defend you and if it turns out that you called and they were too busy or they didn't have enough manpower to get to you well sorry you die but at least you live in a socialist utopia where we are all unarmed, where we are all equal in our miserable lives. So take away from the story, respect the cops. Not all cops are good. Just like any human endeavor, there are a few bad apples, but given the number of contacts that happen on a daily basis between cops and people of all races and all walks of life, it is actually shockingly minuscule statistically the number of bad outcomes that are due to uh, police misbehavior. Have a good day, everybody. Cheers.